1: And we're on for another episode of the Resolve Podcast. I'm here with uh, two wonderfully accomplished guests in the education arena, uh, Roger Stark and Betsy Hill. And I was wondering if uh, you could take turns introducing yourselves and a little bit about what you do.
2: I'll allow the lady to go first.
3: <laughs> I'm Betsy Hill and I'm president of Brainware Learning Company Um, I started as a high school foreign language teacher uh, many years ago and, um, you know, went into it with all of the energy and enthusiasm and commitment that I think most young teachers do. Uh, But I found that I couldn't do what I hoped to do with all of my students. Some of them just, uh, and I didn't have anything in my toolkit. I didn't have ways to really help them. Um, since then, I've done a lot of different things, but i been involved in education and have studied neuroscience and how it applies to learning very extensively over the last many years. And so now delighted to be able to help so many families, uh, especially with children who learn differently. So.
2: Yes, uh, my name is Roger Stark. I'm the CEO of Brainware Learning Company. And what started me down this venture is I was beginning to sense my mortality and uh, what did I really have I done with my life and what can I do to make the lives of others better? I came from a highly disadvantaged background and um, people that struggled, whether it was mentally or financially, always had a great interest with me. And I was blessed with uh, good academics and uh, I'd made a reasonable amount of money. And I began to look at what what could we do To change the world. And as I began to look around and I did something that's not, I would do not advise anybody to do. We, uh, I put it out there that I had X dollars and I wanted to investigate. And so, so many things came to my desk. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Uh, It's not a smart way to go about doing what I did. I learned the hard way. I had relatives I didn't even know I had. So after working with it, a couple of doctors walked in my office and said, what do you know about the brain? And I I, I don't get stumped often, but I kind of paused. I said, well, I don't know. I think I have one. And uh, so they began to tell me all of the myths and the lies and the falsehoods that have been perpetuated forever, like intelligence is fixed and white people are all smarter than black people and and girls can't learn math. And they just said, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. This is all wrong. It's a myth. It's not true. And uh, so that intrigued me because when I... I began to look at the data, you know, particularly in the United States, less than a third of our children can perform grade-level work proficiently, 20% of our high school graduating seniors cannot read and comprehend their own diploma, Um, 46% of our workforce is workplace illiterate, they don't possess the skills to utilize the tools to drive productivity, 54% of our workforce struggles to read uh, efficiently, or what we would say proficiently at uh, sixth-grade level, that's 130 million people. And I began to start looking at the economics of what we're doing. We're, we're talking about graduating 82% or 83% of our children. But when you look back, well, they got multiple types of degrees today. They got below basic, basic, above basic, and proficient. Well, half the kids are graduating with below basic. I'm sitting in Chicago. They say, oh, we're graduating 84% of our students. Well, only 26% can do grade level work proficiently. I said, this is an economic disaster. We're worried about China and Russia and all this stuff. We're going to collapse from within. We can't withstand this type of growth and capability within our students and be a country. It touches every aspect of our life. You can't talk about education without talking about economics. So it immediately intrigued me. However, they were operating in a clinical environment, one-on-one. And Doing a clinic environment at the day, end of the day, no matter what they tell you, you're gonna spend 10, $20,000. And I said, this isn't affordable. We gotta find something more scalable. And this was serious heavy duty industrial strength therapy. This wasn't a brain game tinker toy. So I began to look I knew a lot about the video gaming business. I took all Spielberg's products to market before he launched DreamWorks. I launched EA Sports with Trip Hawkins. I launched Playdeck Technology with Nolan Bushnell. So I knew a lot about video gaming. And I just said, we could take this and put it into a gaming environment and use the internet to lower the price point and make it more fun, interactive and engaging and pair that up with highly competent we call brainware master coaches, we could lower this price point and take it to critical mass and help so many more people because I've dedicated my life. uh oh I got a problem here.
1: Oh, no problem.
2: Turn that phone off. I didn't mean to do that. I'm so terribly sorry. Uh, So what I began to look at and understand that we could do this. And so I I jumped on full boat. I mean, I put a lot of money. I put a lot of time. And now, fortunately, we built the world's most researched, comprehensive integrated cognitive skill development tool delivered online in the world we're very proud of that we work in 73 countries we've served over half a million families and that's what excited me
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah that sounds uh that sounds incredible especially the part where you do the research and make sure that everything is evidence based because as i'm sure you're both aware there's a lot of neuro myths still around uh especially in uh the teaching profession. Uh now uh I'm wondering a little bit about how the program works and how it helps kids that might think a little different or kids that are neurodivergent and how parents have sort of responded to the program. Go ahead,
3: Beth. Well, there's a lot to say on all those all those topics. So we start with a cognitive assessment, it's a nationally normed, scientifically valid research-based assessment that is um, very actually easy to administer and is very powerful in terms of the information it provides. Because we know that everybody learns differently. And when you talk about neurodivergent, you know, um, you're sort of, I think people are generally referring to, you know, outside of the sort of average range but the truth is, even within the average range, um, not everybody has average skills, and we all have cognitive strengths and weaknesses. And so we start with that initial assessment because we need to know that we can understand um, how a, an individual child learns and where their strengths are, how they can use them, and how they can leverage them, and how they can help support the skills that are perhaps not as strong. Um, and so it's When we um, do that assessment process, and then we sit down and we talk with the parents, the response is generally just, I can't believe I'm getting these kinds of insights into my child. I never really understood before. Now I understand why we're seeing them this kind of problem in school or this kind of behavior at home or this kind of whatever it was. It It starts to make sense. And um, that provides a baseline then, of course, also for cognitive training, because we know that these skills can be built.
1: Mm -hmm. And is there sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where kids don't have the skills and then they get stressed about that and then they kind of decide never to try and develop them and it kind of goes...
3: Yeah, abs- absolutely. The it, the we when we talk to parents, it very often is it, um, you know, they've been struggling in school and then it gets to the point where they have very low self-esteem, they feel bad about themselves, they're convinced. I mean, every kid, you know, will tell you, here are the smart kids in my class, here are the dumb kids in my class. And that that's just a misnomer, but that's that that's how they feel. That's the world that they live in. They have meltdowns. You know, you'll see the kids who just, you know, you know, I, I can't do it. I'm just not smart. I just can't do this. And so um, many times, for, you know, anxiety goes or stress, feelings of stress and anxiety um, go with learning issues. and And it becomes a sort of vicious cycle where the more they struggle, the less they want to do, the more it becomes difficult, the more they're convinced they can't do it. And um, it ends up with homework battles at home, meltdowns at school, acting out kinds of behavior or withdrawing kind of behavior. So you see a lot of these things that can look like laziness or disinterest or things like that, that really have nothing to do with that. That really has to do with the fact that they learn differently and that underlies um, all of these other factors.
2: I would like to point out something else as well, though we don't get as many, but people come to us for two reasons, pain or gain. Either they are struggling in some way or or they're not living to the expectations that the parent believes the child has the potential. Betsy likes to talk about the P word, the potential. Uh, Maybe she'll talk about that later. She has great experience with that. But um, they're just not performing it where where the parent would like to see that happening. But the other side of the coin is, some parents are just obsessed. I want my child to be the absolute best. And I want them to have the absolute best opportunity to be the best they can be, to go to the best schools, to get the best degrees, to have the best income. And so we get both sides of that coin because as Betsy says, everybody learns differently, but everybody has cognitive strengths. Everybody has cognitive weaknesses. And we can, I mean, I don't know you, but if i get a chance to know you i'll be able to tell exactly what your cognitive strengths and weaknesses are And i don't know if you've ever had any training or coaching uh to understand those and and how to deal with them but um the reality is all under you know, if you haven't you've developed a workaround you develop accommoda- accommodations yourself you see strategies of what you can't do and because there's many people that have had challenges like this but they have worked it around I mean, you look at things like ADHD or or dyslexia and some of these things, they're some of our smartest people in the world. They may not be able to tell you how they got an answer, but they can get the answer quick. So, um, you know, I I just got to get this out. I'm just biting at the bit. The the reality is, in our opinion, the most underutilized asset in the learning and the teaching process is the student. Let me be clear. God did not make any junk. And he didn't start with your child or any other child in the world that you know, there's a real special human being trying to get out of every little child's life. And you think about this, everything we do in education is about teaching every issue. It's about a teaching or an instruction issues. We never once think about what's the child's role in the learning and teaching process. What can they do? What can we do to develop that child? Because see, everybody as individuals, we all have the ability to learn. We're born to learn. That's what we do. We're born to learn. But not everybody's capacity for learning is the same. Your capacity is shaped by your environments, your genetics, your life experiences. But I got great news for everybody that's listening. You are the CEO of You, Inc. And if you want different, you can have different, but you got to do different. And by doing difference is first of all, is understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then developing a system that allows you to unpack that process so you can see exactly where those strengths and weaknesses are. And then you can deploy the appropriate resources to elevate those strengths, to build that intelligence. And that's what we have the ability to do. We build it faster and greater than anyone with sustainability and transfer that we've known or seen throughout the world. We work in, I just said, we now sold product in 73 countries, all 50 states in 73 countries. But we never, we should never underestimate the value of the student because we've looked at this issue since President Johnson was president. He said, this is horrible. All these, about seven out of 10 of our children are not performing professionally at great level. About a third do perform. About 20% of our Latinos can, about 18% of our African-Americans can, but collectively only about a third. So we're crashing and burning with about seven out of 10 every year, seven out of 10. President Johnson said, this is insanity. We've now spent $22 trillion, that's with the t in 60 years. And always my question is, what's changed with the children that learned it? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And and they've got a third, by having the science of teaching and the best teaching practices, we've got about a third of our children performing professionally. What does it look like if you incorporate the science of learning with the science of teaching? You marry those two together. You see an average of two years of academic growth in 12 weeks, an average of four years of cognitive growth in 12 weeks. These are unheard of statistics with demonstrated sustainability and transfer with the appropriate or the right kinds of comprehensive, integrated cognitive skill training.
1: Mm. And I think the other important thing about uh, cognitive skills is that sometimes it's hard or very expensive to get a psychometrician to see if your child has ADHD or some other diagnosis that impacts them. Whereas uh, from my understanding, brainware can reach kids whose parents might not be able to afford those assessments in the first place.
2: That's absolutely correct. What we've done, we used to be in the clinical business and just worked in clinics. That's where we got our chops and that's where we lived. But to get this type of therapy in a clinic's office, uh, these costs are based upon the price of a real estate within the community in which you live. That's how doctors and medical people charge. If you live in a community with $5 million houses, you're going to pay a lot more than if you live in a community with $100,000 houses. It's just the way it goes. So it's usually anywhere from ten dollars to $25,000. It's a wide range. It just depends on what you would have to spend. Now, that sounds like a lot. But before that was put together in the last 50 years, you'd have to spend eighty dollars or $100,000 to get these collective types of services to spend the appropriate time. Because everybody worked in silos. Nobody worked integratedly. So you go to speech and language for a couple of years. You go to clinical psychologists a couple of years and neurologists a couple of years. But they brought it down to that. And so what we've been focused on doing is how do we get more parents with, a greater, with an opportunity to participate? So what we've been able to do through the nationally normed assessment, working online, gamifying everything, we've been able to lower that price point dramatically where a parent, if they want to get into this, they can get into this, or I've seen it delivered for as low as $65 a month. And we have different options and different programs, but you can definitely step into it if you're willing to commit to your child, if it's sixty-five dollars a month, that's that's the lowest I've seen it. I it does get higher, but that's the lowest I've seen it delivered, and that's a reasonable number. Most people can figure out sixty-five dollars a month, so that's a big jump for us.
3: I also wanted to add a little bit about this the the concept of a diagnosis versus understanding learning. Um, And so we work with kids who have diagnoses, whether it's ADHD or autism spectrum or um, a diagnosed learning disability, but we also work with a lot of kids who don't. And one of the things that we um, find is that having a diagnosis does not necessarily tell us how a child learns. And so what we are able to do with our assessment is to to pinpoint those and to really look at how each child learns and learns differently. So it's not about, and the other thing is, you know, many parents, a lot of them who have come to us have had a neuropsych evaluation uh, prior to coming to us. And it may have qualified a student for medication. if, If they decide to go the medication route with ADHD, or it gives them access to certain kinds of services at school, but it doesn't necessarily tell a parent what to do. And what we spend a lot of time doing is helping the parent understand exactly what that means. What does it mean to have strong or weak attention? What does it mean to have strong or weak working memory? What if your verbal memory skills are stronger than your visual memory or vice versa? What does it mean if, uh, and can we do anything with a uh, slower processing speed? So we really try to focus. It's it's not just about the evalu- having access to the evaluation, but then it's what you do with it and what it means and how you're able to actually um, have a plan you know, one of, uh, one of the things our parents talk about a lot is, you know, now now I've got a plan. Now I see what I need to do. Now I know what direction we need to go in. And we know that we have a plan to help them improve their capacity for learning and therefore their success. Mm-hmm.
2: That That's a great point, Betsy. The two big comments we get from parents when they see this. And, and we know all the assessments, but what's great about this assessment, it's You know, today asking for data is like asking for a glass of water and standing under Niagara Falls. There's no lack of data. What you want is actionable data, data that will actually inform you or empower you to do something about what you want to do something about when you want to do it. And uh, I've not met many parents that have a PhD in parenting. So most parents have no idea what they're doing. They kind of rely upon the school. If they don't get the resources they think they need there, they might consider a tutor but all a tutor does is do what a teacher does, just teach. They're not gonna fix any underlying problems that are creating challenges for learning or behaviors. So the first thing parents do with this, this document, it's, you can read it. We work so hard to make, Betsy and her teams work so hard to make it in language that every parent can understand. And then we walk them through it. We have a neural educator uh, walk them through every aspect of that report. And the two comments, the ones is the plan, because it it feels, people underestimate clarity. When you actually have a plan to know where you are, where you're going to go, and how you're going to get there, it relieves a lot of stress. The second thing they admire is they feel thankful because they now know their child. Because if you don't know someone comprehensively, cognitively, you really don't know them. And once you really understand how they process information and how they learn, It takes on a whole nother level of perspective of how you respond to your child when they're doing something perhaps that frustrates you. Now you understand why they do it and it elevates the parent's empathy. So it really lowers down on that that back and forth. that can be a little tough. I apologize. I've got son coming in here. I don't have a production stool here. So I do apologize, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, is there ever an age where it's, too late to implement these strategies, or do they work for people even in their early 20s, say? <laughs>
3: uh, they definitely work for um we say from age six to 106, uh, the, the or which is the span that that we work with. Um, and I, I've never had a 107-year-old come to us and I certainly <laughs> wouldn't turn them away, but <laughs> um no, it's, uh, in fact, we work with, um, we've worked with adults um, well into their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I, your question. Uh, 60s. Me think. 60s, they that work I, with
2: me. I use it. I'm in my 60s and I <laughs> use it on a regular basis because there's a lot of research.
3: But it's you interesting. We had reserve. A, Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, we had a 24 year old young man that we worked with recently and his was really fascinating he was in college he had struggled all the way through school and and he actually started he had a brain bleed at birth and so there was some um uh, neurological damage in his brain um but he you know had a very committed mother <coughs> she's an educator and he worked very hard um when he engaged in the in the brainware program um he was uh, he was very committed, and he really wanted to see if he uh, really, you know, wanted to be able to improve his, his cognitive abilities and his success in school. One of the things that he had always struggled with was math. And he, although he was in college in 24, he had never been able to do multiplication and division. And he had gotten to the point where he just wouldn't even do it. You know, oh, I can't do that. You know, it, it just would any time it came up. Well, um, after he had been working in uh, our program for several weeks, he went to the store for his mother, and he called her from the store and said, Mom, if I divide three into 12, is the answer four? And she said, Yes, Joseph, the answer is four. Why are you asking me that? He said, Cause I never, I never could think of that before. I never, it never processed in my mind before now, now I get it. And I think it's because I've been doing brainware. So, you know, sometimes there are processes that just don't make any sense. And, and what we're talking about and I, is these skills that are so basic that we, they operate at a non-conscious level. It's, and um, it's not that you can explain to somebody how to hold more information. Sometimes you can explain to somebody how to do multiplication and division. But in a lot of cases, if they don't get those the concepts of numbers and their relationships and their various um, dimensions, you can't, it, it, just explaining it isn't going to do it. You can make help them go through a process, but they don't get it. It doesn't really mean anything to them. And so what we're doing is we're helping develop these underlying skills to the point where they're just automatic. They're just there. That's how your, your brain works now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that sounds uh, absolutely fantastic. And just on uh, Roger's point, I talk, I I also do, a lot of journalism and reporting around the Alzheimer's and dementia space, so I'm well aware of a lot of the efforts there to improve cognitive reserve and develop, uh, develop brain training programs in conjunction with other lifestyle interventions, like in the finger study, to lead to better cognitive outcomes. So it, it's a very exciting time to sort of be in the space and be in this mm. field. And have everything taking off around gamification. And uh, I'm sure the both of you kind of feel vindicated that uh, you were so early on it with
2: brainware. <laughs> Not only did I feel <laughs> a frustration mentally, but I felt it in my pocketbook financially. Uh, I invested uh, millions of dollars, uh, uh, you know, because it used to be people would say that you go to an educator, you talk about the brain and learning and like the brain's relevant to learning, really? Uh, I was just in New York City and um, not New York City, up, upstate New York, working with um, about 85 to 90 directors of special ed. And I asked them, What is your brain based initiative to work with your children that learn differently? And they looked, every one of them looked at me like a deer in headlights. But what do you mean? Well, what do you know about the brain? I don't know. I think I got one. They were absolutely clueless about how the brain is relevant to learning. Now you know, I don't know what you, in the United States, we're always big on, the coast are all the smart people. Everybody in the Midwest is where all the dummies live. All the geniuses live in New York and California. But here I am in New York and they were clueless. It absolutely blew me away. And, and it, it's, it's it's a constantly, it reveals every day. But I but I but as I began to step back, I understand why. There's a big misperception about education. People think education is about learning. It's not. School's about teaching. It's not about learning. School's all about the teaching and the what. What we do is about the learning and the how. And you say, why do you say that? Well, only about a third of our kids working with best teaching practices, the best science of teaching are performing proficiently at grade level. And that's been the same for 60 or 70 years. They do not judge teachers on learning. They don't wanna touch it. They are judging my teaching my classroom to best practice. Am I managing my classroom to best practice? Am I a subject matter expert expert based on some sort of state assessment that says I'm qualified to teach that subject? That's all they're judged on. There is no, they can flunk every student every day and every Friday, they're gonna get their check. They're government workers, they're part of the, the bureaucracy, if you will. And so it's about process, it's not about outcomes, it's about process. And so one of our biggest challenges we're always looking for educators that have the intellectual curiosity to understand how their students that learn differently learn. And we're finding more and more. And it's not their fault because they're not taught about how people learn in college. They're taught how to teach. And if you are in that top third, you're going to learn a lot. I was in that top third. Bet you, I bet you were in that top third. So we learn a lot. But for the seven out of 10 that don't get it the way you're pitching it, it's a it's a real struggle for them. And the reality is students, that teachers work really, 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 really hard They do, the students work really hard, but the system, the system does not give the teachers the resources that they need to help children that learn differently. Betsy's taught in the class. She knows what the, you see these wonderful children, you know, they have capabilities, you know, they're bright, but they learn a little differently and they don't equip you with the resources that you need to help that child be the best they can be. I think it's criminal.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. No child has to come, no child has to be brought into this world. To let a child suffer needlessly, to me, and I know some people are not religious, I happen to be, so probably I just turned off half the audience. But the reality is the greatest sin in the world or the greatest how I don't know however you want to say it, is to let a child suffer needlessly when they don't need to suffer. They don't need to suffer. There is hope. That's why we wrote this book. It's all about hope and inspiration and aspiration. Because your child has been diagnosed with something or because your child is struggling somewhere, or somewhere, it's not a life sentence. You've got an opportunity. You can help your child if you choose to help. As I tell everybody, and I think I said it earlier, you're shaped by your environment, your genetics, your life experiences, there's no doubt. But you're the CEO of you Inc. And if you want different, you can have different, but you got to do different. And we're finding more and more a receptive audience and that's why we work with parents and that's why we wrote this book because parents have a sense of urgency they have a need they are not about processing they've got to live with that cow the rest of their life a teacher's got to live with them through a grade one year and they pray every day how can i get roger stark out of my class he's a mess <laughs> and i'm sure teachers did that with me probably. <laughs> the reality is you have parents parents care and they want results And as you know, today, what you want to do is you want to talk to people that want to talk to you when you want to talk to them about what you want to talk about and have a sense of urgency to participate in what you're talking about, the financial world. This book is a guide. It's a roadmap to how to get there because nobody's given them a roadmap. There's no PhD in parenting. I talk all the time to church groups and synagogues and whatever and and moves amongst houses and so on and i ask everybody hey how many people have children everybody raises their hand they're they're excited they got, all got kids how many people have a phd in parenting they all look like each other deer in headlights i know what a phd in parenting is one night mom and dad are hanging out the next morning mom wakes up and says hey guess what we're gonna have a baby then you're on your mad search to try to understand how to be the best parent you can be and a big part of that is understanding how your child learns because it is the greatest single gift of a life.
1: I completely agree. We also see something similar with uh, mental health where there's a lot of parents and teachers that are so overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. Uh, They don't have the resources or the skills for uh, for managing and regulating their mood or their mental health, or they simply don't really understand their kids. Or why they're anxious, or why they're stressed in school, and sometimes it's just so important to have a roadmap, something that says, "Yes, you can do it." This, uh, uh, these are the resources that you need. These are the skills that we can teach you, that we can provide. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be over the top expensive. It can be something that can be delivered to everyone who needs it. There's a huge problem in schools and universities, where, you know, uh, academic problems, problems with students not feeling like, you know, they're achieving their goals, and students with uh, mental health issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, something else, uh, just, you know, existing in this time and age is an exercise in anxiety. Uh, And there are just trying to handle it. And they need the resources. uh, They need the tools. Uh, That's why I'm really impressed with what you're doing with uh, Brainware. That's why we're doing what we're doing with Resolve to try and address some of the issues on the mental health side of things. Uh, And I'm just wondering if either of you have any final comments you wanna make about learning education or something that you wanna tell uh, parents or students that might be struggling right now
3: i'll let betsy go first thank you roger so i i think that the most important thing for both parents and for teachers to understand or, and, and for and for um, children themselves students is that when there are struggles with academics when when learning is a challenge there is almost always and some underlying cognitive factor at play and so you, you know you may parents may hear oh Johnny or Susie or Simon just needs to work harder or they you know just need to apply themselves or they just need to um, be better motivated they need to you know and usually what is at the heart of it is some kind of uh, weakness in some cognitive area And so it's not just a matter of working harder when Roger earlier mentioned the word potential, I raised three boys um <laughs> and over and over again we w- would have a conference at school and I would hear uh, that my, my the boys would hear uh, you're not live you know you're not working to your potential so you they used to call it the p word. Uh, because they were, they got tired of hearing it. And the point wasn't that everybody has potential. If you're a child, if you're a parent, um, you have potential, but there's something getting in the way of that. And the point is we now can, we have a lot of tools. We have a lot of things that we can do to really um, uh, make a huge difference and to give you the capacity to be successful in school, in life, in sports. And, you know, our our cognitive abilities are connected to so many things. It's into everything. We, We don't have a bunch of different brains that we take to different places. We don't have one brain for school and one brain for athletics and one brain for hanging out with our friends. We have a brain and it does all of these amazing things. And when we can help it be a little more efficient, a little more effective, it can make just a lifetime's worth of difference. Yeah.
2: I'd like to say a couple of things. Um, first of all, you you've, you've, uh, spoke often about mental health. There was just recently a study that looked at some of the 29 of the mental health uh, diagnosis, whether it's stress, whether it's bipolar, schizophrenia, you name it, 29 of them. And we work with a number of clinicians and their children in particular, it's kind of interesting. Um, we just uh, was working with a group out of, uh, out of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they, they have a complete full service mental health facility and they cover it all. What, what do you do when, when someone has some sort of a mental health issue, when you go to a, a clinic? Well, the first thing the clinician wants to do is attempt to eliminate that problem if they can. If they can't eliminate it, they want to develop some sort of a managed plan. Uh, to provide your life with as much normalcy as possible. Uh, typically that plan will involve some sort of a cocktail. But what they found in this research, in every single incident, there's a C factor. That particular diagnosis, that person living with those issues over time has had an impact on their cognitive aspect of what their abilities are, their strengths and weakness. They call it now the, the thing, instead of the word cognitive, call it the C factor. There's a C factor in every one of them. And most mental health clinics do not have um, the, the resources in, a, in an economical way to um, assess what that C factor, they're so um, concerned about getting rid of the, the, the schizo- managing schizophrenia, or bipolar, or the stri- whatever that might be. But they don't really look at carefully what was the C factor that was caused and how do you go in and remediate those things, 29 of them. And uh, we're partnering with these types of facilities because we have the ability to come in in a very affordable, scalable way to assess it and then remediate it. Everybody else deals with symptoms on these issues, um, especially when you move into education. I had a superintendent one day said, "You know, we spend all of our time, Roger, watering the leaves. We never water the roots." The other thing that I want to make sure that every parent knows. Um, is there some new work today and in, in they in the talk about EQ, the emotional quotient, the intellectual quotient, but now there's two more. There's the social quotient, quotient. Quotient. I can't say the word. Social quotient. Can you help somebody? Social quotient. I can't say it. Am I saying it properly? Social yeah. quotient. Yeah, social quotient. And then you have the adversity quotient. The social quotient is your ability to interact with people and get along well with people and communicate well with people. In short, well Wear well with people, and then the adversity code: being able to take challenges as they come to you, and difficulties and hurdles, and not let it break you down. And the great thing about brainware, we just don't fix a cognitive skill; we have an impact on the well-being of the total human being, not just your grades, not just your behavior, but the well-being of the total human being. Talk about stress and anxiety when a child has difficulties or struggling; it's high. Let me tell you something, that anxiety and stress is high throughout the house. When you have a child that learns differently, the stress and anxiety is throughout the home. So if you help that child be the best they can be, you're not gonna lower the anxiety and stress level of that child and build their self-esteem and build their self-confidence. And we, we do that in spades. We take it and knock it out of the park. You see that stress and anxiety lower in the home. So the one thing every parent needs to understand, if your child learns differently, you're on your own. The Calvary is not coming. If your child does not get what they're pitching, the way they're pitching it, they have nothing to do to help you. If your child gets behind, they'll never catch them up. You are on your own. And don't have any delusions about that. You are. And you're going to be, you are going to be the only person in your child's life that's going to determine whether your child has a life of hope and opportunity and choice our life of chance and despair and it's all on it's not right it's not fair it's not just but that's the reality today mm-hmm.
1: yeah uh thank you so much for uh chatting with us today and i think there's a little something that everyone in our audience can take away uh from the stock. uh and thank you, we'll, we'll also post a link to your upcoming book in the podcast description. Uh, so thank you both.
0: And of course a disclaimer. This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy.
1: Please seek professional help if needed. Go to ww.resolve with two vs.ca to get the support you need.
0: And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check
1: us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two V's.ca to learn more about how our services can
0: support your needs. Till next time, time take, care. take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street.